Welcome to the Captain's Podcast. My name is Elena Copley. I met Jenny Atkinson, founder of Little Scribe, at the end of 2019 and was immediately impressed by the exceptional tech platform she has created to meaningfully enhance children's literacy, particularly through writing. One of the aspects of Little Scribe I adore, beyond the creativity in children it is revealing, is the focus on children physically writing. Regardless of the swift capabilities of typing on a keyboard, Little Scribe honours the importance of children and older children having time to think as they write with a connection of mind, arm, hand and pen or pencil. Students then photograph their pages using the Little Scribe app through which they can also edit the order of the pages. The children can then publish their own books with the associated pride and satisfaction in their work that builds self-confidence and esteem. They can then publish to their own private library or libraries shared with friends, family, schools or the community generally, including people overseas. Much is being said about declining rates of literacy and numeracy amongst Australian youth. It is well recognised that poor literacy impedes careers and negatively affects productivity, including through miscommunication and poor communication that can frustrate and waste time and costs as tasks are clarified or worse, work is undertaken upon an incorrect basis, which cannot then be used. Jenny and her colleagues have devoted immense thoughtfulness in developing Little Scribe, including through pilots they have conducted in Australia and overseas. As you will hear, late last year, one particular book was published as a collaboration among students that has garnered international attention for not only the high quality of the children's work, but the way in which its creation was part of a healing for children who had been significantly affected by the 2020 Australian bushfires. As always, as you listen to Jenny speak so beautifully about Little Scribe, ask yourself, what will be your life legacy? Jenny, my wholehearted congratulations on Little Scribe. How do you explain what Little Scribe does? We are an educational writing platform and what we're doing is we're supporting kids by bringing their writing in the classroom to life in the form of books, calendars and cards, both digitally and physically. But what's deeper and what's really underneath that is a whole lot of writing activities and programs for supporting teachers that link to the curriculum, showing them really clever, informative um, ways to teach writing that engage kids and um, really connecting them with larger communities so that we're bringing purpose to their writing. And that is in the form of we're publishing work online, we're publishing work in newspapers like The Land. Um, these books are now being read by people in both Australia and offshore. And they can be a little book or a big book, like one literally one piece of writing, one page through to 30, 40, 60 pages of, book, of pages in any book. And what was the catalyst for you to create Little Scribe? The catalyst was actually an accident. I was at home with my daughter one day who has a chronic pain condition. So she was just tired on this particular day. So she wasn't what I'd call sick. And I said, there's no tech. And the short version is she was doing a word puzzle and asked the question, what's in a Bowie? And I had no idea what she was saying. And I went, what are you talking about? And she meant an oboe. And I went, oh. How do I explain what a Nobel is? So I actually went to YouTube, put on um, Peter and the Wolf, and they're playing the Russian orchestra was playing it. 
And that was the best way for me to illustrate the sound of an oboe, but also how it tells a story. And she said, well, what is this about? I explained it was Peter and the Wolf and it's effectively a child who writes a wrong. And from that little magic moment, she then decided she was gonna write her own stories. And she wrote five in one day very little prompting from me, only questions like, well, who would you like to read it? Um, who would, how would you like to share it? And from that, um, she set up a lemonade library equivalent at the front of the house and she had her library of books. And when all the other kids came back from school, she was interested in them, reading them, sharing them, taking them. And she saw that they had come to life. And that was the beginning of an insight. And I went, hmm, I'm just going to go and check out what the possibilities of this being normalized and accessible to everyone. So that was the gem of an idea um, that created Little Scribe. It's such a brilliant platform. Through your work with Little Scribe and the programs you've conducted, what have you observed to be the standards of literacy in Australia and New Zealand today? Yeah, it's a good question. And I think I can answer that from a couple of perspectives. One as um, the data that's coming out with the likes of NAPLAN and PISA results. And there's been in Australia a decline in our, our children's ability to write um, every year for 10 years in every state and in every school year. And this is a global trend. And when I say the decline in our, our children's ability to write, I specifically mean their ability to tell us what they now know in a way that we understand it. And that basic concept of communication and retelling a factual story, a creative story, an intimate story, um, whatever it might be, their ability to do that has declined in the form of writing. And that's been happening globally, particularly where technology has increased and the increased use of technology. So that's one thing. Um, if I then answer that more as a parent and as an advocate, what have I noticed? I see real concern and frustration from parents about, are my kids okay? It, they don't seem to have some of the fundamental skills that we have in when it comes specifically to writing, which is very closely linked to reading. But frankly, writing is the poor cousin in the literacy conversation. And again, what I mean by that, we've made some really good inroads in increasing the awareness of kids reading every day and reading for joy. Um, there's concepts and ideas that are working like dear, drop everything and read in school. So we've made some real behavioral changes in reading and we're seeing some of the evidence coming through both in schools and as parents. That's not happening in writing and there's a real concern. And some of the research that's just come out of New South Wales, which is validated with American data showing exactly the same stats, is 40% of our teachers don't feel comfortable and skilled to teach writing. 40%, and what's the reason for that? Is it that they didn't receive the skills themselves? They don't have the confidence? What's the... It's a good question. And I could almost do a whole podcast on that and join in some really good thought leaders on it. I think the simplest way I could describe it is um, a couple of things. One, a lot of those newer teachers that are coming through didn't have the basics and principles of themselves in education. So that's one core area. The second is the way they're learning in institutions. There's a lot of theories on how to teach writing there needs to be more application prior to coming to the classroom 
and getting feedback from incredibly skilled and expert um, teachers that have been doing this for years and years and years. That knowledge is not turning up in real terms for the first day of when you're teaching in the classroom. So what you'll see in ABC, um, has done some interesting reviews and reports on that. And I was, I think there's one student that came out of Sydney University, I think it was Sydney University, but the message was the same regardless of what university it was, and said, I have all these theoretical knowledge and I don't know where to start and it's day one in the classroom. So they lack confidence and they lack the um, platforms and the resources to put on their hands in their hands today to go and apply in the classroom so they're working it out as they go so you've got teachers going into the classroom who aren't being equipped to be able to deliver the fundamentals of an education system to our children yeah that's that's a it's a direct and a blunt statement um and I, I'm very conscious of separating the desire and the intent of these teachers. I mean, everywhere I turn, I am struck by the commitment and the self-education and personal time that goes in to now making up for that lack of, lack of knowledge or confidence. And so I, I'm very conscious of saying they're coming in without the resources that make them feel comfortable and the experience that makes them feel comfortable. Yes, the desire, the intention um, is extraordinarily um, refreshing and inspiring in itself because they're not, they don't coexist as a statement. So I'm very conscious of splitting that out. So taking that as an extension, what have you observed about the impacts of poor literacy standards in terms of student behaviour then in the classroom and outside? Um, again, I'll talk as an observer that gets to see a lot. And so we've got um, literally just over 800,000 unique pieces of writing in our platform from across the country. So you get Massive. both the data from that. Yeah, and very you, much so. Yes. And the analytics also, then that goes with that as well. Yeah, so... Um, from the analytical perspective and then the content that's coming from the students and the responses that we're seeing from the teachers as well, I answer it with that context, is we often see kids that are very disengaged and, and lack confidence themselves. And this has definitely was exasperated during COVID. Um, when it comes to writing specifically in those early years, we're building skills. And most teachers will talk about once you've had a holiday over Christmas in particular, it's a long break. It's almost like we have to go back and repeat and rebuild some things because we've had such a long break. So imagine COVID where you've had such a long break and that break happens again and your systems and training plans have been interrupted. And so you've got to work on the hop to make up for those shortfalls and those gaps. So what happens is the kids, um, are not accessing and practicing on a daily basis, which in increases their concern around writing well and expressing themselves. That's kind of one area that I'd see. The other is um, when it comes to impact of trauma, um, that we often then give kids the scope to express themselves because our primary concern is the mental health and the well-being of the child. 
And I'll talk a bit more about that later in the podcast, but there's some really interesting evidence that's coming out and samples of work across many schools that when we stop and give kids the time to write about things that they're very connected to and very close to, we get a, a, a different level of engagement and B, a very different level of outcome. And so what that leads me to is we've got an environment now that's very driven around getting data and an outcome and understanding what the kid has achieved. So it's become very task driven. So the purpose of writing often is to demonstrate the knowledge of the child so that the teacher can pass on that result. I've either taught this particular part of the curriculum and they've achieved this result of the curriculum. If you went deeper and said, where is the kid's engagement? Where is their desire to write? What is their enjoyment to write? And how is that expanding? That's actually not something that we look into, assess, test, review, or consider on a day-to-day, -day, weekly, and um, bigger picture when it looks at the data of what we're collecting is engagement and a love of writing and learning is not part of that process. I'm going to come back to that topic shortly. But for now, what have you experienced in terms of writing and reading the standards across socioeconomic groups of children? Yeah, look, there's some really interesting trends that perhaps aren't um, as talked about broadly. And I think that's because we're still coming to terms with them. And the first one is this, the increase of technology has meant that we've used some technology in a way that's turning off human learning systems. And so let me give you an example of that. Um, UCLA and Edutopia have some really good research that explicitly show when we handwrite and when we draw with that handwriting, we increase memory by 200%, nearly double. And the, the reason we do that is our hand and that innate ability when we're writing something for the first time, we're putting it and using so many different neurons in different ways, we put it down in a way in our memory bank that lands on something else because that's familiar and has context, which means it is easier to recall. And we built something that's highly memorable. So that new concept that we're building writing like alliteration, extension of vocab, how to create a character. When we actually handwrite and draw, there's a much more significant impact in learning and recall. When we type that, we literally have to, what happens is children have a tendency to regurgitate, copy and paste, and the technology is doing the editing. So we're not looking at the spelling and the grammar. So we change the way that learning system is operating and it's not as superior as handwriting, particularly for complex things, because writing is really complex and it needs to be laid down in a certain way. So out of Murdoch University, some really good research that's saying when we've got um, handwriting occurring, we've got a year of increased learning within about three years by using that technique. And there's a lot of research going into hand, handwriting versus typing. So that's um, one thing. And that leads to the socioeconomic thing. So often we've looked at low socioeconomic data and said there's a poorer literacy level because there's lack of exposure. Um, I'm of the observation 
that we're going to see a new dilemma in the socioeconomic profile where those who have access to a lot of technology, those that use a lot of technology and people that are highly comfortable with technology because they consider that to be a smart thing um, are actually not getting the same results in their kids' ability to communicate in written form their own original ideas in a clear way for others to understand. So I, I'm calling that as an emerging outcome and trend that we're still coming to terms with. So they're the two kind of um, big things is technology and how um, we've used that in purpose. So um, the upside of te technology is, and the socioeconomic profile is, um, I have seen where we would call postcodes where there's a lower socioeconomic profile in certain areas where parents have got access to read their kids' writing, they're highly engaged and will put more time aside to do that particular behaviour, which is highly supportive to the child to want to write again. Often in the higher socioeconomic profiles, it, there's a busyness factor that's not valuing reading and stopping our kids writing, but we'll spend a hell of a lot of time going to sport or go to the opera house and watch them sing. So we'll go and look at those events, but the action of reading our kids' writing is not turning up there. So I've covered quite a few different aspects, but they're sort of trends I suppose I'm seeing and hypothesizing about what's going on. And I definitely am fascinated around um, technology where we're writing and using pens on iPads, for example, versus an actual pencil and paper. And there's some research that'll be coming out in the next couple of years. And I think that's gonna be really interesting to watch. And that's one of the features that I adore about Little Scribe even though it's a technology platform, is there's such an emphasis on that connection between children thinking and putting an emphasis on them and their creativity. So you've got the connectivity between their mind and their arm coordination and their handwriting. And it's while they're undertaking the physical act of writing and drawing that their mind can then think ahead to the next part of it as opposed to just sitting on a screen and tapping away. So can you tell me about Little Scribe's features for primary school children, including the magic button and then the publishing function? Sure. So some of the things that we start from the get-go is how do we turn on human technology and really get kids writing to their best ability? And we know a couple of things. Handwriting and the illustrations give some freedom for those thoughts that come to be unpacked in a way that they can do it in a timely way that the, the um, concept comes to them. So let me give you an example of what I mean by that. We'll actually get some kids, particularly younger kids or those that are reluctant writers, maybe with dyslexia and problems like that to actually do the illustration first. And then we'll use different techniques for them to write what they see in the illustration. Um, our platform can literally take any image, any piece of writing that's sitting on a desk and instantly transform that into a digital product of their choice, which is now fit for purpose to print. And the magic button you're talking about is if that image is slightly skewed or on the side, we 
transform that and clean it up so they're not focusing on that piece of it they're focusing on the content of their work and they're free to let to then go and do the next one and they look at it and it looks like a real book because it is a real book it looks like a real calendar because it is a real calendar so the magic button is around this really clever editing process that gives it that professionalism and does justice to their work um and some of the features then is as soon as that book's up and up in the platform and to give you some context, if someone's a child's done a 12 page book, each page is A4 pages and that includes the front and the back, they can transform that within three minutes into an instant digital book and that's ready to print. It's that quick. That's incredible. And that's so distinct from, and this may go back to the reasons why you established and created Little Scribe, is that the publishing industry is such a centuries old industry, but there's such a select process to identify who is deemed worthy to be an author. And that children, largely by virtue of their age, have a messaging that you're not old enough, you're not good enough, you can't publish. And that's where Little Scribe is so transformational for that mindset. And it's so encouraging of them. It absolutely is. And, you know, I've asked people, do you know a young person, a teenager, that's been to the nationals or been to the Olympics for swimming or sport of some court, we go, yes. If I ask you, have you seen or heard of a child that's been on television and acted or sung and performed? Yes. How many kids are really out there that are seen as authors? And when I ask that question, and I ask this one, which I love, who's your favorite author? I have never heard someone mention a kid's name ever. And, and the creativity some... within them is exceptional. I think the creativity of Australian schoolgirls and the resourcefulness of them is so underestimated in this country, particularly, and schoolboys as well. And we'll come to sort of the distinction and what you've found in terms of statistics around the different levels. Yeah, look, and there's, it's the questions that we've asked that's really opened my eyes and influenced the philosophy of the platform. So this question um, I love, why are there no library of books written by kids for kids? There's exactly. absolutely They're no smart. good reason for that. And yet when I do ask that question, um, either of children or adults, they tend to fall into two camps, which has been fascinating. We did some research on that. Um, there's one group that says, well, there are rules. And those rules are you've got to be old enough and of a certain age and have left school because it's an adult thing. The second thing, which is probably the most significant one, is spelling. And if my spelling is not correct, it will not be published because it's not good enough. And I've heard that from teachers, librarians, adults and kids, and we have cloaked that belief system and made it true. And if I challenge it with this simple question, are there any books in your library where the content is substandard and in fact not worthy to be read? The answer is yes. So in there is this, oh, don't get me started on that topic. There are, and the, even the images, I can't stand those cartoon character triangulation. Whereas you, you go on, I won't interrupt. Oh. Look, I think that my message from that is we've created this hierarchy around a published book and, and kids have heard you've got to be adult and more importantly, you've got to be 100% accurate with your spelling. Now, I don't get me wrong, spelling, 
grammar, all these things are very important because they create clarity in your message. However, we all know that there's been extraordinary content and it's still valuable with some spelling mistakes in there. And let me give you some examples of the impact of kids' books that we have this, this very clear view. We celebrate pride, purpose and progress, not perfection. Because we believe pride and purpose drives progress. Yeah. That's and exceptional. And it gives that messaging again to children of encouragement, mm. not a diminution because they're not perfect. But right. the quality comes through in the validation, which then builds their self-esteem, builds their confidence and encourages them to move on to the next and to step yep. up rather than a constant erosion down. Correct. And we have created, there's a certain group uh, in, in society and they also exist with their kids and it's the fear and perfection. And I've seen it turn up in a couple of different ways. One is where kids have written some extraordinary work and suddenly the order of their thought process means because they've started at the top of the page and got to the bottom that I need to scrunch up the entire page because I've spelt something wrong or the sentence was not good enough. And instead of just editing that piece, or just living with it and allowing the next version to come out and copy and paste and stick something over the top of it, that's not perfection. And they'll lose all of this work and they'll literally scrunch it up because they're not comfortable to share it and they feel failure. Um, and this writing at the top of the page in a linear format and getting and completing and filling a page and getting to the bottom is literally kind of the structure we've created for a lot of kids and said, that's what writing looks like. And so we've, instead of saying, it, you can do a sentence or two, you can draw a diagram, let's build these concepts and let them flow. And you can cut it up and repaste it on another page in the correct order. And what happens is we get gold in that first draft, but I'm not asking you to write the whole thing again, cut out the pieces, highlight the pieces, get a sticky note, glue over the top, do a speech bubble. That editing and laying process is just turning on so many neurons of learning. It's amazing. Which would be so transformational to the traditional way of writing of write your first draft and then your second draft. But then I remember at school it was, well, how can I make my second draft a little bit different to my first draft? And so it was this artificial process to be gone through. So how do Little Scribes features serve literacy needs of high school students? Um, the same way they do for any writer and any and, and our platform as much as we create a lot of content that teachers can lean on for primary and high school teachers frankly it's for anyone so I was asked what's the age group and I said oh probably about three to 99 something in that if you're a writer or want to get into writing we it works for you specifically around high school students um, there's some really interesting things that are happening in high school at the moment now when we talk about subjects, writing is instrumental to every single subject in high school. Science and maths, and I, you know, people raise their eyebrow when I go maths, but when you're going into problem solving, when you're communicating knowledge in a question, your written response in maths is way beyond just doing numerical responses to that or algebra. And so the system and the curriculum is looking for your ability to communicate an, a numerical answer in written form. So be very clear that that's happening. 
um, certainly in science, certainly in history and geography and all of these aspects. And they have specific types of writing, factual writing, persuasive writing, creative writing. So the answer for the um, high school students, it's a couple of things. It's really targeted types of writing and understanding how to write in those arenas particularly well and in those styles that allow the marker, frankly, and the audience to get to the crux of your argument and your knowledge quickly and effectively. And often it's it's about writing less than more. And it's that economy of words. And I remember years ago hearing that Bryce Courtney is the author of The Power of One and many other masterful literary works. He took a writing class and he gave the class the task to describe an African sunrise. And he gave them 15 minutes to do it or whatever the time period was. And so the class's response was, and they were an adult body, they wrote and wrote copious amounts and went into detail about an African sunrise. And then when he called on their responses and several read them out, and he said, in fact, the way to describe an African sunrise is simply the sun rose over Africa. It's five words because that economy of words, because there's such an emotional connection to what people have regard for as their um, vision of an African sunrise is so evocative. And so you don't need a full page or two pages to describe it. So now let's put that in context of moving into life after school. What we know now is our kids, when it comes to communication and being part of it, is whether it's a Facebook, a tweet, it's a marketing message, in any sort of social forum context, it's the visual piece of medium that sits with an incredibly tight, clever, effective sentence is all the audience is going to give you. And that's the cut through. So specifically for high school students, transitioning into real life, your audience has in certain areas, a time span that's reduced. So that's definitely something that they have to have a skill for if they wanna succeed in that part of their career. Then on the other side, when it comes to things like data science and how do we merge data science with psychology and everyone's going, what do you mean? And philosophy. So really right now we've got some fascinating trends with the likes of Facebook, which is an incredible amount of data. How do we use it? And what are our philosophical choices around that? Um, philosophy and data science now um, are just blending in a way that we haven't seen. So you've got to have the ability to digest a whole lot of numbers and then communicate that to people that are making legal decisions, commercial decisions, and philosophical decisions and value systems in a, in a time that I don't think we've done that en masse with as many people watching and seeing what you're doing. So that kind of writing and that kind of communication is what I'm going to call deeper and has a lot more time because the impact and the con uh, uh, consequence is so significant uh, for business communities nations you know globally so that's what i would suggest little scribe its main feature is 
uh, nailing those areas in school, but specifically trying to structure them in a way that's applying them to real life. And you're going to transfer that capability into your life post-school, whether it's personally in your family communications and writing an amazing card or a speech at your wedding, right through to being able to be at a round table and be part of a conversation because your ability to communicate things is well considered, well constructed and well understood by others. Which is all important. So where there can be the technical skills and then soft skills and emotional intelligence that are regarded by businesses, but to be able to convey ideas and to communicate effectively is really so fundamental to the productivity of businesses because then you don't have miscommunications, you don't have angst in relationships within the organization because of poor literacy or poor communication where a message was misinterpreted so then there's wasted resources but bringing it back to little scribes other features what are the tools and curricula that are available for teachers through little scribe yeah there's um, a couple of different things that are really exciting we hold the mini writing festival and the mini writing festival um, came it was already in our business but it came to its fore in COVID. So we connect country and city schools or kids all around the country um, by having writing workshops. And this is not a writing talk fest, it's a writing fest. And that means that we have, if you can imagine, an author, an illustrator and a literacy leader on a Zoom meeting. And as the author is communicating their particular knowledge and skill, supported by the literacy teacher that's converting that into what I call classroom speak, we have an illustrator drawing and modeling what the author and the teacher are talking about. As that's occurring, we have we had the biggest classroom in Australia, I believe, live last year. We had 35,000 kids from every single state and every single territory join. And as the authors were talking and then giving the kids writing challenges, the kids were then responding and showing us their work physically, writing it in the dashboard. And then coming back the next couple of weeks and putting it into the Story Starter Wall. And the Story Starter Wall was the ability for kids to share their writing with all these kids around the country. So that's one particular um, program that we have. And it's very much about micro moments matter. How do we build confidence and a skill and a challenge in that 45 minutes that the teachers and the students can see and feel confident about? And then for the next couple of terms we've got a program that allows them to build on that um, so that's the mini writing festival within that we've got a specific tool called the teacher writing toolkit and if you can imagine there's thousands of resources in there around all the different writing types that I've discussed before from creative to factual all the different themes science environment um, history etc and um, it automatically can allow you to digitally send that to students assign it, review it, um, write notes and keep it as a sampler. So you're creating this portfolio over years that connects the kid to the next teacher next year that has them. So they're getting this beautiful insight to the student's work. How um, that's a really great program. And what's unique about that is the students, yes, they can type if they want to, or they can upload a written piece of information, or they can print it off and write on the back of it. Very important for kids that don't have access to digital um, 
environments all of the time or those that are not comfortable with digital environments. So it's accessible for everyone. And then probably our sort of, you know, cornerstone product that everyone really loves. And I'll talk in a minute about Cabago and the impact from the bushfires and how this program came to life and has now become an international book, um, believe it or not is the co-author program. And if you can imagine um, Australia's leading authors, they write the first two pages of a story and then they give the baton to the children to say, now you write the rest of the story. And our platform brings those pages together, becomes that instant digital book and it's now printed. And we've seen copies of kids' books now in school libraries. We're seeing copies of kids' books in other schools' libraries and being Which read so by powerful. People. Absolutely. What pride the children must have to see that their own published works are not only in their own school, but in another school library. That's phenomenal. And um, one of my highlights during Christmas is um, Oliver Pomavan, who's a brilliant author, and he was at a book opening for his own book at Dimmicks, and these two gorgeous kids turned up with their books that they'd done a co-author program with him. So... Um, he they signed his book and vice versa so they really? gave his um... that is gorgeous what a <laughs> I, I couldn't imagine that you know back in my day at school that one an author would be so engaged but that the, the opportunity for the children themselves to then be able to sign their book to give to a prominent author themselves how wonderful yeah, and to go to his, um, you know, book opening with their book that they've written together with him and said, hey, you know, by the way, we're co-authors. Here's our book that we wrote together. Loved that. And that must um, be so satisfying for him as well. Oh, well, he put it on social media. He thought it was brilliant. <laughs> That's um, tremendous. What a great initiative. But well outside, I'd imagine the stock standard school curricula, because I've not heard of that previously. And that's the one of the values that little scribe and the impacts, the beneficial impacts that little scribe can have for children. And as much as that's the magic moment, what's underneath that for teachers, which is gold, is that program has 10 lesson plans. Every single one is connected to the curriculum. It includes micro videos where the authors are talking directly to the kids. It has resources and ideas and brainstorming sessions for the kids. Every single thing that they've done to get that book meets the curriculum, exceeds the curriculum and joins the curriculum in such a purposeful way. And our hope and goal is that teachers there with this connected content are relieved from pulling together the resources so that they're freed up to be in the classroom and supporting the kids in a way that they know those kids need to be engaged and extended and supported and less time on the on the documentation piece that allows them to deliver a really rich program. So they can go to the substance of it. And then in developing Little Scribe, what market testing did you undertake? Yeah, it's a bit of a baptism by fire. There's nothing like um, working alongside and in partnership with schools. And we specifically started off um, contrary to a lot of advice from startup, um, which is get your first product, just get it out there and hope for the best. And it became apparent to me that educators have a lot of stuff thrown at them. They've got a lot of choice and they've got not a lot of time. Their time is incredibly precious and they already give up a lot of it. So we work with some schools um, 
out in uh, northern western New South Wales with um, some high Aboriginal communities, um, other communities that had been impacted by um, bushfires and drought right through to the heart of Sydney and further abroad. So we targeted those schools and worked actively and said, how can we make something that really works regardless of where you are, what your skill set is, but really empowers the teachers and the kids. So that's um, really the, the main way that we've gone about that and then listened and rebuilt and listened and refined. And then through COVID, I think we did exceptionally well to respond because we already had a platform that was about connecting parents and kids and teachers and a broader community, we came into our four because that was our, our, our philosophy from the get-go is how do we connect and join people. At an early stage, when you ran the comparison between classes mm -hmm. for those, I think may have been in New Zealand, where one yep. class had access to Little, to little Scribe and the other didn't, yep. what did you see were yeah, the differences? Yeah, thanks for that question. Um, we had in this class, and there was a, a, a control group that had no no alternative um, engagement tool, resource platform around writing, and there was another product, and there was ours. Um, you would expect there's a term saying um, a year's worth of learning in a year's worth of teaching, if that makes sense. So in that context, the class that had um, no external resource to, to rely on the teacher, they did get a year's worth of writing outcomes in a year. It's exactly what you'd hope for. Um, in the competitor solution, they had the same thing, a year's worth of writing outcomes in a year. In our program, we had in the first bit of data, a year's worth of writing outcomes in 12 weeks. That's incredible. And that so you're taking a three month period, that acceleration, if you then have that applied over longer periods of time, the impact for children. And how did that reflect itself in what the children were actually doing and how their writing improved? Yeah, so there was a couple of things that came out of that. That growth continued um, for the next year at the same acceleration rate. So it wasn't just this one-off little injection. So that's point one. Point two, when you broke that um, class down into the socioeconomic profile and skill set that acceleration applied for the lower socioeconomic group, the lower skilled group, as equally it did for the gifted and talented. And that was really fascinating. So there was no disparity of where you started as to the growth rate. Which um, then would magnify further as time. And we had some students in there that ended up in a year getting three years worth of writing progress. Um, in their outcomes and literally changing what they would call year group changes um, in their educational outcome. That recalibrates the entire writing curricula and how that can be far more effectively applied than the current curricula across Australia, across New Zealand, across other countries. Look, I think the key is the how we engage and how we support teachers to do what they want to do and why they became teachers and support that innate knowledge that they have. Um, and if you can also think of Little Scrub, because we get to see all of this work and we're watching and constantly kind of grabbing the gold, we're like this USB of brilliant um, methodologies and approaches. And this USB says, we'll zap it all in and then we'll share it. 
So we've got a USB stick into all these brilliant classrooms and teachers and we watch and we glue these concepts together to make sure that everyone can access and use them. And a few years ago, Little Scribe established an initiative to connect country children with city children in New South Wales. Can you describe what that involved and what was its impact? I think it's a brilliant idea. Yeah. Um, it started off about three years ago and it's interesting now to see. And it was a very small pilot to start with, with um, four schools, one in um, the heart of Sydney and the other three were out, out west, sort of the Burke kind of area. Um, and what was interesting about that program is we saw a lot of connection, a lot of engagement and a lot of desire to write for both um, groups. There were some really fascinating distinctions in the type of writing and I'll broadly say, and I see this again, um, in the city when the students were writing, their ability to express their life became a recount and quite factual. The students that were in the country theoretically had lesser vocab and, and writing skills, but their ability to express their feelings and to tell a story that people wanted to lean into so that people can come and visit where you lived was stronger. So that innate storytelling that's in those smaller communities really came to its fore and we could build on that. And so we were doing work in different environments. One is how do we create the original concept and um, your feelings and expression so people want to come and visit where you were from was one area where the others were building more the skills, if that makes sense, the technical skills. Um, that then grew into a program um, right before COVID hit and we had around 7,000 students um, connecting. As a result of COVID, it actually dropped to just on 3,000 students because the day it started was when we all went into lockdown. But what was interesting is those 3,000 students and those um, schools that were involved, it, it was clear it became at the end of last year the most important thing they did. And those kids' work now has, that, that has been distributed across other schools. It's been published in the land and it moved very quickly because as much as it was set up for kids that are under pressure from the drought, that it had systemic pressure for around between four and seven years. We then established over those Christmas holidays in 2020 that 50% of those kids had just been impacted by the fires. And Tell then- Tell me about in, that. So yeah, that was so incredibly devastating and harrowing for children. So how has Little Scribe been able to use or have teachers use Little Scribe yeah. to help the healing process for children and communities that were affected by the bushfires? Look, I have to say it's probably been our most important, impactful work, and that's really coming out as we speak. Um, I'll talk about one school, but when I talk about that one school, I'd like everyone to understand I'm actually referencing now thousands of kids and lots of schools that went through and delivered the same things. But every so often you just get a case study that you can't help but share. So Cabago Public School was um, impacted probably unlike any other town. And just to give people some contact, context, they had a loss of life. Um, farms were obliterated. Lots of houses were burnt down. That community was um, ignited and lost within hours. Um, 
like probably lots of communities were impacted, but that's the one that you probably saw on the news. And we were working with that school prior to all of this happening. And what I love is the day before the school's term started, and excuse me if I take a little bit of time to tell this part of the story, but I just think no, I think it's, it's an Australian story that yes. really people need to understand what's possible and how things can be be provided in extreme circumstances. So the day before school started, we had an appointment with Cabago teachers and I contacted the principal. I said, look, I absolutely understand if you want to cancel that meeting um, and want to do something else. And she said, nope, we will be there. This is the day before school started. And they turned up and everything around them was black. They had no internet. They used their own mobile phone. And they had these big smiles and they said, we're ready and this is going to be the most important thing we do. And I said, we're here to help. And we brainstormed a um, using our platform, a slight variation on how we could then support the kids. At the end of that is a book that I'd really encourage everyone to go and see and buy. And it's, and it's called The Day She Stole the Sun. That book um, has had a profound impact, not just on that community, but I'll tell you a little bit about it so you can then understand why it's had that impact. The kids wrote a collaborative book. It's extraordinarily well-written, both as a factual piece of writing and a creative piece of writing with also um, consideration for Aboriginal language. So they decided that the fire had to be called Gunyay, which um, the fire needed to have a name and an image because it was so big, they wanted to personify what had happened to their school. And they also realized the reason the book's called The Day She, she Stole the Sun is it was so black, even though it was daytime. That's how thick it was and no one could see anything. And mm, they all lost the images. Yeah. yeah, and they all lost time. And so how do you unpack something and create context when you're visually blind to it because it's so dark? You can't smell anything but the smoke and anything that you, you have been aware of or conscious of has gone or could be gone. And so there's, there's this real darkness. Anyway, the kids have written an extraordinary book and they take us on their journey of their experience as a collaborative group. And these kids in this particular book are aged 11 and 12. It's probably one of Australia's best written books, in my opinion, in the last decade. So and incredibly powerful. It is. And um, that book then, that I asked them this question, who would you like to read your writing? I said, this is an amazing book and has a perspective unlike any other that I believe has been written. And they were brilliant. They said they wanted the two local fire brigades it was, it was dedicated to them because they saved the school. Not much else could be saved, but they saved the school. And that gave them a sense of normalcy and something safe to go to and something familiar. And that was really important to the kids. So we did that. And they also wanted to have Shane Fitzsimmons read a copy of it. And then I said, go crazy. If you could ask anyone. And they clearly wanted their parents in the community. And they said, I said, this is an iconic book. And they said, well, the iconic person they'd like to read it is Hugh Jackman. I went, oh, really? okay, here we go. I gave you a Game challenge. Game on, challenge laid. You write your best work and it was, I'll now go and find your audience. And, you know, shout out to Shane Fitzsimmons. He personally came to the school and we went there the last week of um, 2020 
and for the kids to end that school year with him reading the book and acknowledging the book and being moved by the book was the perfect way for them to come to terms and recognise and be recognised for the year that they'd had. Um, so that was really interesting. Men from that bushfire brigade and women who did extraordinary things have contacted me personally and said that book has given them more context and more understanding and opened up their comfort to have hard conversations that are incomplete with their own family because they could see the capacity of the kids. They could see the insight and the honesty of the kids and the Through the eyes of the babes and the words and the work of the babes. So the healing here has actually come from the kids because of their ability to write and tell this story. And what I'm delighted to say is as much as I did the shout out, I also um, did a shout out to Hugh Jackman. And um, he arranged to read the book and we sent an audio and the kids got to read, to listen to Hugh Jackman read their story. That and is just magnificent for the children to see the reach that to be encouraged, and sorry, I keep coming back to that for the children, that little scribe is such an encouragement for children where they can otherwise be so despondent, they've got to do their homework and it's always a, um, largely a negative, but to actually elevate the children. And I know that the word is so overused in many contexts, but to genuinely inspire the children to have the confidence to stride boldly. Yeah, and... I've always believed that, you know, when you get inside, inside the head and heart and soul of a child, you're very close to the best part of humanity, you know, and there's so much to share and to show us. So the more that we make that accessible and okay and safe and we celebrate and we recognise pride and purpose and progress, the more they're going to give us. And the more that we're open to that, we just get it tenfold back. And by Hugh Jackman reading that book, it said, and I literally spoke to Campbell, who was the teacher today, because we've got a series of programs working on this year and next year um, with that school and that community and other schools, which is probably another podcast in itself. Um, but from Campbell's mouth was, he said, I played that to the children and it told them how worthy they were and how worthy their story was. Exactly. And there were some parents that also heard that and some pretty um, hard-hitting firefighters. And when he took the time to read that story, they felt heard. And mark that in such distinct contrast to the traditional publishing houses and that children just don't have an insight to be able to publish a story otherwise. And that's why wholehearted congratulations to you, Jenny and your colleagues, but you leading them to create Little Scribe and how impactful that is in the lives of the children and how that is going to continue to impact them well into their future years. And then that has a knock-on effect. Well, thank you. It's very generous. And I think what, I love and what gives such um, gratitude and ease to do this day on day is 
the feedback we get and the work that we see directly from the kids and then from the parents and the teachers you go okay we're doing something here that really matters and we're doing something here that's making a difference and we'll do whatever it takes to keep doing it. And the impact of COVID on the continuity of education for many students in Australia and overseas has been significant to say the least. It's said the education of girls has been set back 10 to 15 years as many families simply cannot afford to send their children to school and the importance of educating daughters is regularly sacrificed. What is Little Scribe's involvement in the UN's Earth School? Yeah, great question. So um, during all this other work, I got a call and an invitation, which was extraordinary. And we were asked to um, consider being part of a consortium with the United Nations and they started up Earth School. And it included um, TED Ed Platform, BBC, Nat Geo, um, a series of about 20 or 30 really significant large everyday businesses that you know and they were huge they're the international <laughs> and how long did you have how long did they have to pull together an entire school to serve students so within three weeks um we ended up delivering um a 30-day challenge and we were writing programs leaning on mother earth to be the safe place the happy place the refuge for people that were stuck for a long time in small apartments, couldn't access people, but they could access this technology and immerse themselves into the environment through learning, chilling out, relaxing. And our activities were what we call an adventure challenge and the kids would then respond. And it was all connected and educational content. And we put all of that together. So um, Little Scribe was the only Australian organization involved in that. Certainly we were the little guys standing on the shoulder of giants. Um, but I was delighted to say that the highlights for us personally, there was over a million students around the world that used that content um, over All that together month. in three weeks. And yes, and that was just extraordinary to be part of that and to write some of those programs and lead that with industry um, leading educators and scientists and specialists and to write programs that kids from every single continent were accessing um, really showed us and showed everyone what's possible. And tell me about the impact of Little Scribe in some of the Indigenous communities in which you've worked. There's that one particular young boy and the story that he wrote that makes me tear up when I speak about it to others. Yeah, I might in a minute just kind of grab that and come back and tell it because I think this, the poem um, speaks for itself, frankly. Um, just a little bit of context around that. i am always been curious to see how we can support um, Indigenous language and culture and um, Indigenous communities in a way that really works for them and is respectful. And I'm not suggesting that we have all of those answers, but I'm suggesting we've got a platform that respects that and enables that to come to life. This particular instance, um, we asked the kids to write about the secret places of Burke. And imagine that someone was going to come to Burke and it was another kid and you're going to take them around the secret places of Burke. Now, if you ask most kids that 
the kind of responses that we were expecting to get would have been, you know, the pool and the river and the sea or whatever it might be or the playground. And we got those, but there was a high percentage of kids that talked about the cemetery. And that was personally eye-opening, confronting and beautiful. And what was the reason? All at the same time. Mm. And um, I'll read one of the poems, as I say, in a minute, but, but broadly, these kids are attending funerals on a regular basis. And where the cemetery is, is their opportunity to meet with their family again. And it's also an incredibly quiet and peaceful place. And so for them, it's connection. This is what I heard. And I'm not suggesting it's true for everyone, but this is what came out of this particular program. It was connection. It was peace. It was, it was, it was, and peace in the solitude of the noise, but there was certainly um, sadness, deep sadness. And so it was a place of truth um, about their family. And that's a place that they could connect with their family. So that, that was, as I say, quite confronting. It was beautiful because it was so real and so raw and so gently shared. And I think that was amazing. And what was the poem? So visualise two faces. I'm going to read first the one on the left-hand side. And it has the poem inside this faceless face. And on the right-hand side is the second half of the poem with another faceless Aboriginal face. And it says, now it's time for all lost souls to be laid to rest. No one ever supported them deals with their pain, there was a face with no name. There was a family of death, a maker of pain. All he ever said was don't play games. He was an innocent man in a sea of pain, but all he could see was the broken dreams of the lost souls walking the corridors. And how old was the child who wrote that? That was um, an 11-year-old who was described to me before we went through the program as a non-writer, disengaged writer and was not attending school on a frequent basis. So I've got been labelled as non-literate yeah. and yet little as scribe has a non-writer. I'll be really careful of my language. A yes, non-writer, disengaged and often um, in these classrooms we often see aunties who are these amazing women that ground these kids and really work with them to be present in the classroom and often they just walk out but we had kids walking out of this classroom because they were going to find the auntie in the school because they were looking for the language translation in their local language and the bit they weren't used to is the kids running back in to finish how oh, beautiful mm. how absolutely beautiful yeah so that was that story um and there was many others but that that to me was an extraordinary piece of writing so powerful but for little scribe to be able to identify the creativity and the emotion that the child has within them and yet they've otherwise been dismissed as being a non-writer well i challenge most adults to come up with something of that caliber that quality <laughs> and the gentleness of the rhyming but the power of the words and the simplicity of it it's just Agreed. exceptional 
And Jenny, one of the purposes of the Captain's podcast is to activate people and initiatives. If there was one thing that you would like to see put in place to transform literacy and levels of literacy in Australia, what would that be? Look, I have a dream and I'd love anyone that's interested in helping and it is to become the first country in the world where every child is an author. And that is absolutely possible and available to us today. And it serves a very clear vision, which is when we had Clean Up Australia Day, we were all asked to put on gloves and pick up rubbish. And that became the beginning of a consciousness around the environment and that little things matter and they all add up. And my vision is imagine every year we can say every kid was an author this year and they created a 12 page book. And that has to create a, a connectivity in our community and an ownership to be part of the solution. Whether it's because parents and big people change our behavior and, and we do that by revering, respecting and reading our children's writing that's the new norm I want to create and a platform's available, the content's there for kids to write any straw they want to. And I think Australia's ready to start reading them. But that's so achievable, one book per child every year. And then to consider how that, through Little Scribe, given the publishing function that you have, that students overseas can then order and have that book published. So then that's, it's just the multiplicity of layers but all beneficial for not only the Australian authors, but students overseas to be able to read and learn and understand and experience and hear what life is like in Australia or any of the subject matter about which the children write. Correct. And that's what literacy leadership looks like. And imagine if other countries put their hand up or more importantly, picked up pens and pencils and started writing and parents put down their phones all around the world and just made a commitment to pick up their kid's book and read it. That's the kind of stepping stone to shifting 10 years of decline. And it's not gonna happen with us thinking it's just an education system problem. It is our responsibility, they're our kids and we can support those outcomes by doing some you know, really big visionary stuff, but it's actually really simple to execute. And it's so simple just for the children to receive the acknowledgement and the affirmation from their parents about the work that they're doing. Yep. And their grandparents and, you know, the local bank and the local um, bakery. And we've had all those people. We've got news agencies now down in Bermagui and um, cafes that are selling their kids books and the money's also going back to the local school. That is fantastic. And there's something that is brewing in the background that I haven't told you about yet, but I'll tell you offline. But that is so heartening to hear because children after school, when they're picked up and they go down and they get their healthy juice or they have their ice block, to have a cafe there selling the books or making the books available for the children to read. So they sit quietly. If you're eating an ice block or you're drinking a juice, you can't be running around. But then to just have that absorption of reading, that's so natural. And, and that book, and excuse me, because there's so much that's happened and, and there's similar stories for other books, but just to keep the context for people that are listening, 
I, I literally got a call from um, Tourism Australia, the marketing director there, saying, oh, by the way, we did a, did a promotion of Australia's Back in Business um, offshore and in Europe. We've just been contacted by some organisations in Germany that want to get behind selling and sharing the book. That's where it's got to. That's what's possible. That's happening. That's the day she, saw, she stole the sun. Yep, the day she stole the sun by the Cabago kids. And that's one school and one book. And think how Australian children, students can be elevated with the encouragement that Little Scribe and its programs provides. Yeah, it's amazing. And it's just what the kids, that's what they're capable of. And you mentioned earlier that late last year, Little Scribe held the Australian Mini Writers Festival. Will you hold that again this year? Absolutely. Not only will we hold it, the program's pretty much locked down. Um, anyone that's interested, you, your kids in any school in primary and high school will connect with some of 15 much-loved Australian authors like Jackie French, um, Oliver Palmer Barn, Deborah Abella, Andrew Datto, just to name a few. And they can access an entire program in this live event, more than 150 resources that are micro videos after the live event and a series of writing activities and challenges and writing competitions for the rest of the year. This is an extraordinary um, event. And when you see the enthusiasm and that live moment of having, the, you know, Australia's biggest live classroom and kids loving writing and teachers going back into a classroom full of enthusiasm and new skills, that's what the Mini Writing Festival is doing so absolutely um we've got some pretty outrageous goals we had thirty-five thousand. i reckon we could maybe get over one hundred and fifty thousand this year uh, we've got no limit it's just we're a small business trying to have conversations with a lot of organizations so um that's probably the only limitation is us as a business to get it even bigger than that and is there any ability for Australian businesses to support Little Scribe to be able to make that happen? Yeah, absolutely. Um, all our, the program's locked away, um, the system's in place, we know what we're doing. It's really now about marketing and communicating and connecting with schools and decision makers and anyone that can either help that with contacts or help that with funding so that we can get more resources to have the conversations. It starts 26th of July. We've got plenty of time. And technically we've got no limitations on the number of students that can participate. And in fact, it was just this morning that I heard or perhaps yesterday that the Federal Ed Education Minister, Minister Alan Trudge, he was saying that we need to have a greater concerted focus on elevating Australia's literacy standards. So the Mini Writers Festival is a perfect opportunity to do yeah. that. It is. And the kids writing that came from that, you can see it on our Story Starter wall in Little Scribe. Um, we published that in the largest regional newspaper called The Land. I'm always looking for opportunities and partnerships to provide um, more opportunity to share the kids' work. So anyone that might be in that situation and have access and leverage there, that would be brilliant. I just want the country to read our kids' writing. But for all of the focus and the funds, really, that are put into Christmas gifts by major businesses, and I come from a top-tier law firm background, and that there are the corporate gifts that are provided to clients, 
but to have a refocus and a recalibration so that large Australian businesses and small Australian businesses and medium Australian businesses, instead of sending the bottle of wine to the client, instead order a number of the children's books to be able to send them out or even for the clients then once they receive them and they've read them to be able to pass them to the school libraries that they may know. Yeah, there's so many forums like that and it can be a calendar. Like if there was a business there that says, I want our 2021 calendar to celebrate children's work, come and talk to us. We can produce endless calendars in your brand with students' work and that can be your gift or your present. It could be a book sitting in your waiting rooms like the Cabago book and every time you buy that for $20, $10 goes back to the school, their literacy program that is now coming in stage two is really fascinating of what that's doing for that community and beyond. So you're actually really um, getting behind literacy, you're getting behind kids, you're getting behind communities, you're also getting behind, frankly, a small business like Little Scribe and helping us do what we want to more quickly and with scale. And so many businesses have their community engagement program and their corporate social responsibility. And I yep. think really none's more important than in supporting and enhancing literacy because there are so many layers of impacts for individual children and for their lives. And an example of one of the products we've just innovated and about to take to market is, um, you know, a, a literacy sponsorship product. And that is effectively in short, all the things that I've talked about, the mini writing festival, the co-author program, the toolkit, a year of writing activities for every day of the work with some really juicy content in there. If there was an organisation that wanted to provide that and sponsor schools that have got, you know, more pressures than others, you, we can organise for that to happen for $20 a child and they get access to all the things I've discussed, including a physical book for a year. What a true investment. Jenny, I am so thrilled to have had the opportunity to speak with you about Little Scribe. Since we met several years ago, I have spoken to many people about your exceptional work and the work of Little Scribe to meaningfully enhance literacy amongst Australian school students. So now I can simply refer to your own description of the magnificent functions and applications of Little Scribe. The most exceptional elements of the platform are the demonstrated impacts it is having to reveal the creativity of children, to build their self-esteem, to provide them with the ability to read more and have a greater range of topics and access information and gain a better understanding and knowledge about the world and hopefully lay the foundations for them to excel further in their studies and in lives beyond. So Jenny Atkinson, thank you for creating such a superb, considered and highly useful platform to genuinely enhance literacy and provide greater opportunities for students in Australia and overseas. Thank you, as always, a delight to catch up and really appreciate the opportunity in the platform. And um, anyone that's a little bit interested, love to hear from you and get in touch.